Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We Fremen have a saying. God created podcasts to train the faithful. One cannot go against the word of God. You cannot loose your listeners upon the universe. You will think back on the gentle ways of other podcasts. But you cannot. You're a podcaster. Review your script. <laughs> Plug in your mic. Plug in your mic. <laughs> Test your levels. Check your gain. <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe. From Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today we are... Today! Landing the ship! Landing the ship! Landing the, the ship! Ornithopter. <laughs> Landing the ornithopter. Oh, that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> Landing the ornithopter. Great call. You know, this is it. We are finishing. We are finishing. Dune ever heard of it? Oh, my gosh. Oh. It, it feels, I mean, time is meaningless. I'm starting to understand a little bit of Paul's prescient abilities. Yeah. This book club has felt both infinite and has gone by in a blink of an eye. It feels like just yesterday that we were recording book club number one. And here we are at the finale. You know, all of my other memories are awakened and they all just talk <laughs> about Dune all the time. It's just, I'm descended of a long a cacophony. line. <laughs> yeah, it's just a cacophony of Dune fans. Yeah, for real. Wow. Well, welcome officially to the finale for our book club coverage of the first Dune novel. It has obviously been one hell of a journey for us. Yeah. Diving deep into these pages, a hundred pages at a time. We hope for you, dear listener, it has also been an incredible journey. We hope you've gotten so much out of this book club. It has been an absolute treat revisiting one of our favorite books of all time. Right. And as we finish the book club, we want to hear, especially we want to hear from you. We want to hear yes. your thoughts, any lingering questions you have. You know, we're going to talk today about some of the emails we've gotten. We want more. Mm-hmm. We want to hear more perspectives, more opinions. Email us, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. That's where it is. That's the that's place. The, that's the place. That's the location. That's the email. <laughs> and look, our families and friends and neighbors have abandoned us. You <laughs> yeah. and your emails are all we have left. We, you know, we just sit by the warmth of our monitors <laughs> in the cold of night. Hitting refresh. Hitting refresh. <laughs> hitting refresh. <laughs> One final bit of housekeeping, as we have said on every episode of this book club, but it's worth repeating. 
Indeed. This book club is spoiler free. Yes. That means we will not be talking about anything that happens beyond the pages covered thus far. Obviously, today we are completing the entire first book. So right. today we will be talking about the entirety of the first book as we've covered it. But you can rest easy because we won't be discussing any spoilers for things that happen in future novels. Right. Totally. Okay. It's been a little while since we had a mailbag for uh, mm-hmm. messages from listeners. So today we're going to take some time, just a little bit, to go over some great messages that we received over the last couple of weeks. Let's take a look. Absolutely. Okay, first up, we have an email from Quentin about our guy, Thufir Hawat. This is what Quentin wrote. Hey guys, love the show. Thank you. After rereading Dune recently, I have a bit of a hot take and wanted to hear your thoughts. We love all takes. Hot, cold, room temperature. Mm -hmm. Send them all our way. (laughs) Continuing with Quentin's email. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) It was like tasty, tasty sound. I got it. Yep. No, I got it. But it just, I I was caught off guard. Sudden ASMR threw you off. (laughs) (laughs) Turned me on more like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Continuing with Quentin's email. I have a bit of a hot take and wanted to hear your thoughts. I think Thufir Hawat is the most overrated character in the novel because, and here Quentin bullet points a number of items and lists many of Thufir's missteps throughout the book. Quentin then continues his email. Thufir got played so hard by the Baron, he spent years with the Harkonnens and still thought Jessica was the traitor. I don't know how anyone can recover from that laugh my ass off. <laughs> Could it be me? Am I missing something here? Seems like our guy Thufir is past his prime. What a disappointment. Never meet your heroes. <laughs> Shaking my head. End quote. Ah, what an iconic email. <laughs> Thufir hates to get these sorts of emails. Right. Poor guy. Poor guy. He's always getting these emails. Look, Quentin's got a point here, yeah. right? We have actually talked on this very podcast about many of Thufir's shortcomings and many of the things that Quentin listed in detail in his email are true. And one might be tempted to rag on him for being overrated. So I I can totally understand where Quentin is coming from. But there are some other things to consider. Yeah. Here's here's kind of how this breaks down for me. Mm -hmm. Thufir's reputation in the novel is based on like three generations of service. (laughs) He is. Yeah. He has been Mentat and Master of Assassins to one of the most popular and successful houses in the Imperium for three generations. And my guy was batting a thousand. He's killing it (laughs) before the pages of Dune. Yeah. Now, in Dune, it is worth highlighting that Dune is a bad time for Mentats, (laughs) to be clear. Right. All Mentats. Not just Lufir. (laughs) Every Mentat hates Dune. It's the worst because <laughs> every other page is a history defying, like chosen one is emerging. This has never happened before. Pretty much any of it. Yeah. Let's not forget that Piter, my guy, also got dunked on yeah. in this book. Yeah. A hundred percent. Every Mentat we meet in Dune in the first book is just wrecked by expectations and also the very nature of Mentat training, right? Thufir fucked up, but he was given a lot of bad data. And we get this iconic quote from the Baron. 
The way to control and direct a mentat, Nafud, is through his information. False information, false results, end quote. That is so key. So key. He was given so much bad data. And regarding the years he spent with Baron Harkonnen, you're right. Like, he continued to be fed this lie about Jessica. And again, it matched the data set he had before, so he didn't question it. But it is worth appreciating that if Paul were dead, Thufir was single-handedly dismantling House Harkonnen. <laughs> like, yes. by himself, turning uncle against nephew. It's insane how effectively he was playing Baron Harkonnen against Fade Rautha, basically on his own. Like being the right. it, as a prisoner, as a prisoner, he's like, hey, yo, I'm poisoned. I'm in the clutches of the most villainous person I know. But you know what? Just through my advice and the way that I give my advice, I'm going to dismantle this fucking house. And he's doing it like he is succeeding pretty much within a, just a couple of years. You know, after that time jump, we get back and <laughs> House Arkanen's not doing great. It's not looking good. That, that's such a great point. It's subtle stuff. You know, he's not out here being the hero and single-handedly taking down the Harkonnens, but he's doing his Mentat Master of Assassins thing. In general, just to sort of wrap up this point, we're not out here like trying to go to bat for Thufir. We recognize <laughs> many of his missteps yep. and will be the first to call them out. So our, our response isn't to discount Quentin's email. Everything Quentin said is true. Yeah. And we agree with. But it's also important to consider the larger picture of Thufir's history, what he does while he's captive at the Harkonnens, and in general, just to consider the moment in time we are in, in the Dune novel. Right. It is a universe where unprecedented things are happening all the time everywhere. Right. And Mentats, by their very nature, are simply trained to compute data. And if the data is unprecedented- <laughs> Yeah. How do you compute it, right? Like, I guess the only analogy I can give there is if all mentats are trained to compute in English. Right. And suddenly this guy named Paul Atreides is born that is constantly talking only in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. it's going to fuck up your data. You're going to be playing a huge guessing game of, like, what does he mean? Yeah. Or what, it, what, what can I compute here? I've only been trained to do it this way. Now there's suddenly data I've did never even imagined that I have to try and figure out. So that's <laughs> kind of where Mentats and mud, many of the characters in this story find themselves. Amazing email. Thank you so much, Quentin. And up next, we have an email from Robert Pierce about genetic memory. Here's the email. My guys. My 11-month-old and I were listening to the latest book club episode while making breakfast, and when y'all said that Paul was the first man to survive the spice agony that only Reverend Mothers had been able to, it got us thinking. Here's the train of thought. Wasn't genetic memory unlocked by a Zen Sunni Sayadina, at the time, storytellers, keepers of history and tradition, who ate a toxic plant on a prior planet the Fremen were on? How did the Bene Gesserit come by this news? Can't the spice agony only come from the water of life, a.k.a. drowning a little maker? Given the Bene Gesserit presumably don't have sandworms off of Arrakis, how are they minting Reverend Mothers? What a good question. Yeah. A great question. And also, the first question we have to answer to an 11-month-old. Yeah. 
Who's making Astonishing. breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> Who's making breakfast and thinking about the history of Reverend Mothers and genetic memory and spice agony? Like, Robert, just a, <laughs> an aside here. Yeah. Have you considered capitalizing on your genius baby? <laughs> Wait, does your baby remember Bella de Goose? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, Robert, to answer your question, to kind of get to the core of it, there are some things we can say with confidence and try and answer your question to the best of our ability. There are other things that we are going to either tiptoe around or avoid saying for spoiler reasons. Some of this knowledge about the Bene Gesserit is revealed in later books. So right. we encourage you to continue reading and listening to some of our deep dive episodes about those topics. That's where you can find those answers. But we want to make sure not to get into spoiler territory here. What we can say, though, from today's reading, actually, we get this really great quote that gives us quite a bit of insight to this very question. Paul says, quote, there are other poisons the Reverend Mothers can use for their tricks, but once they've used the spice liquor, the others no longer work, end quote. Yeah. And there it is. There's basically the answer to this question. How are Benny Gesserit creating new Reverend Mothers and undergoing the spice agony if they don't have their own worms and if they don't have their own spice? It's because that's not the only way to undergo the spice agony. Right. It's called the spice agony. And it's called the water of life on Arrakis and in Fremen tradition. And that's how the Fremen changed their Saedinas to Reverend Mothers. But Bene Gesserit have their own methods of doing it and have their own, like Paul says here, poisons that they use for their own quote unquote tricks. Now, obviously, spice does play a role. And as Paul hints in this quote, is maybe the most effective way they have for many of their techniques, particularly the spice agony. So the spice is still very central to the Bene Gesserit, and it's something that they desperately need as well. They don't manufacture any of their own. They do, like almost everyone else in the Imperium, basically import it from Arrakis. We do get, also, because we love the encyclopedia here, and this avoids any <laughs> yes. kind of spoilers, this is all background. From the encyclopedia, we get this little quote. Until that time, the quote-unquote poison used at the water of life ceremony varied with cultural traditions, but its effect had been dependent upon the individual's own preparation for the harmonious self, the capital S, just as melange served only to enhance the trained sight of some reverend mothers, so did the poison of the traditional ceremony serve to focus the transcendence and union of the one with the all. With the introduction of the Fremen water of life, the poison created by a drowning maker, the strength of the catalyst changed. Increased dependence on the Fremen poison and decreased dependence on the arduous training disciplines gradually weakened the rigor of the order. End quote. I love that. So that that is a longer way of basically saying what Paul was saying, this dependence <laughs> right. on spice. It's easier for them to undergo the spice agony if they use melange, but they do have other methods and other poisons to achieve the same goals that might be more difficult or less effective or might have a larger mortality rate. So there's other factors to consider here. But the spice and particularly the water of life is one of the easiest catalysts to kick off that spice agony and to begin that transformation to a reverend mother. Reminds me of the way that stoners talk about weed from the 70s. 
<laughs> where like <laughs> you have to you, that once you have the new stuff, once you have that 2021 weed, you're like, nah, yeah, the other stuff wouldn't do it. You know, technically does the same thing, <laughs> but not even remotely. What an amazing email. Thank you. <laughs> Thank yeah, you for reaching out. Great question. Always fun to dive into that stuff. Definitely let us know if you're 11-month-old has any other questions. <laughs> what a good question. Love it. Shouts to our youngest Kamjabar listener. <laughs> okay, let's wrap up this mailbag with one more email from Lisa Russell about this very book club series. Right. She writes, Hello, I wanted to email you and tell you how much I have enjoyed the Dune read-along. I have tried to tackle this book twice before and have given up both times. I am a huge reader, but struggled with the pronunciation of some of the words, etc. I loved reading along with you and listening to the lore behind each segment and look forward to the last book episode. I think I will enjoy the movie so much more now, and I can't wait to see it in the theater. I haven't been to a theater since the start of COVID, I figured that Dune would be a good one to start with. So thanks for doing the book podcast, and I hope you will consider doing the other books at some time in the future. Oh, oh my gosh, that email. email warms my heart, Lisa. It's lovely. Thank you so much. Great to get those types of emails. Lovely to know how much this book club has helped many of you read the book. And we're so glad that we're helping new readers in particular jump in on this series. Lisa, welcome to the Dune fandom, officially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with all of that out of the way, I think it's about time we talk about the whole rest of Dune. <laughs> yes. So today's game plan, as always, we're going to go over a quick summary of the chapters for today's reading, and then we are going to dive into the takeaways for this finale and for the end of the book, and then... We'll be wrapping up this episode and this book club. Chapter 47. We begin this section with a very, very uncomfortable Baron Harkonnen, who's waiting on the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV. This is the chamber for guests, and it's only decorated with bloody battle flags captured from defeated Yikes. foes. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> welcome to my house, uh... Here's the <laughs> remnants of me obliterating people. Do, is he, do you think the emperor is trying to send a message? Or it's, I don't know. It's subtle. It's really, it's, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta really think about it. <laughs> and the baron in this setting, the big boisterous baron is abashed. He is meek, eyes down, like tail between his legs. He's peeking around the room, just trying to subtly take in just the entourage that's been gathered. And mostly it's like Carino court people and Sardaukar. Love it. Right. Trying to figure out if that's actual blood on the flags or like, <laughs> is they, that ketchup? Is God, it, I hope that's fake blood. <laughs> is it jelly? Is it strawberry it's jelly? It's jelly from the Sardaukar training. Yeah. <laughs> Shaddam the fourth enters the room and holy hell, this guy has a presence. Like oh, yeah. every step he takes, everyone notices. It's amazing. We really get a sense of his bravura here. And Shaddam is just so unimpressed by everything in the room. It's amazing. Finally, when he greets the Baron, it's done in the haughtiest way possible. Quote, the emperor had deigned to notice him. The voice <laughs> was baritone and with exquisite control. It managed to dismiss him while greeting him. <laughs> Iconic. <quote. laughs> amazing. 
Like, oh. How do I get that voice? <laughs> yeah, that's the voice I want to train. That sounds great. <laughs> Shaddam IV is, of course, joined by his truth-sayer, Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Moheim. Gaius Helen? Gaius Helen! So <laughs> good. Love her. She's great. And such begins Shaddam IV's interview of Baron Harkonnen. First up, where's Thufir? Baron's like, oh, well, I sent him a couple days ago to find Muad'Dib to find out more about him. Currently, he's missing in action, but uh, you know what? He's going to be dead soon, like in the next few hours, if uh, if nothing happens. And Shaddam's like, okay, interesting. Uh, what about the nephews? What about your nephews, Beast Raban and Fade Rautha? And <laughs> Baron's like, oh, they're they're out checking the perimeter. Now, these explanations aside, Shaddam is fucking angry. He is not happy. Spice production, like the lifeblood of the universe, has taken a hit. And profits, the thing that matters more than anything, chome profits are down. And now he's got to, like, waste his time with this little errand coming to the planet and checking on whatever baron that he gave the planet to. Also, it really does seem like Baron Harkonnen has no fucking clue what's happening on the planet. (laughs) Shaddam's like... What about the people in the southern polar regions? And Baron's like, what people? No, it's uninhabited. My guy's taken no hostages. He has no idea who Muad'Dib is. He's just like, oh, he's a religious fanatic. I don't know. It's such a bad look. Such a bad look for someone who's normally pretty meticulous. Shaddam cuts to the point and basically brings in the guest of honor, Alia, Alia Atreides, sister. Hello. Hello. She is four years old. She enters the room. And shit really starts getting real. Moheim freaks out. She's no longer laughing. She's like, that four-year-old is ruining my day. Yeah. And Alia is not making it easier for people. She interrupts the Emperor of the Galaxy. (laughs) Basically just to shit on Baron Harkonnen, which is, to be clear, her grandfather. Yeah, she Kanye Wests, the (laughs) Emperor of the Galaxy. I'm gonna let you finish. (laughs) But, uh... (laughs) This fucking guy's old and fat. (laughs) Here's the direct quote. I'm almost, that's almost word for word. Quote, one frightened old fat man, too weak to support his own flesh without the help of suspensers. End quote. Oh my God. Shaddam's like, I think I love this child. Like, I think she's the best (laughs) character. Alia sits on the dais and is just kicking her feet. It's super cute. Oh, it's adorable. She's four. She's a four-year-old child. And Shaddam basically tells this story of how they came to be in possession of Alia. He's like, okay, yeah, we sent five troop carriers to this quote-unquote uninhabited region, and four of them were destroyed, were, were captured, were destroyed. And the Fremen who destroyed them were the women, children, and elderly who didn't oh travel God. north to fight. <laughs> be- <laughs> This is, yeah, the kids, the, the like, wives and the reverend mothers and the elderly who were too sick to fight overpowered four troop carriers. And apparently Alia herself was actually commanding a group, which just sounds amazing. Like, this happens off page, and this probably won't ever be shown in an adaptation, but I do love that image of just a four-year-old being yeah. like, attack! <laughs> apparently... Alia only let herself get captured because she saw Paul's son get killed and was like, oh, that's going to be an awkward conversation. Okay, yeah, no, no, take me prisoner, please, (laughs) please. 
I don't want to talk to my brother. That's, that's so much. Right. And we also find out that they only got away with the one carrier because there was this sort of Hail Mary move using some jets on the carrier as a flamethrower, which sounds insane to behold. Alia takes this time to reveal who she is. She's like, yo, I'm Alia Atreides. My brother is Paul Mladib Atreides. Ever heard of him? Ever heard of him? <laughs> kind of famous. We get an appreciation here of Alia's powers. Part of what's been freaking Moheim out is, it seems, a sensory sharing. So what uh, Reverend Mother Romalo did with Jessica and then what Paul did with Jessica, this kind of sharing of one's essence, it seems like that's what's happening right now between Alia and Moheim. Shaddam is like, are you fucking telepathic? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> and they're like, no, it's complicated. You wouldn't get it. And he's not really that curious anyway. He's like, but actually, I need Paul to surrender. And Alia's like, no, he's not, no, he's not going to do that. <laughs> and he's like, well, I could just level the planet if that's what it takes. And at this moment, and she she says, you know, it's not that simple. And we get the sense that he doesn't understand that the guilt, the entire Imperium runs on spice. And if it goes away, then everyone is doomed. So right. clearly this secret that we talked about at the end of last episode is secret from the Emperor of the Galaxy, just to drive that point home. Now, Paul's surrendering does seem pretty unlikely, especially because the fucking room shakes when <laughs> something explodes. And they're like, uh, yeah, surrender doesn't really seem like it's on his menu today. Shaddam, shaken by this shaking room explosion, is like, uh, maybe we should retreat to space. Uh, okay, someone kill that child. Alia is like, oh, no! <laughs> and like, throws herself into Baron's arms, and Baron's like, huh, I got her! I did something right! He gets fucking so killed funny. by this four-year-old. Alia fucking kills the Baron <laughs> with a gom jabar! hey Heyo! That's the name of our podcast. She slaps some headphones on him and makes him listen to us! <laughs> that is exactly what happens. She throws some buds in his ears, and he's like, what's what's happening? And then she hears, welcome she to Gom Jabbar. <laughs> welcome to Gom Jabbar. He's like, ah! <laughs> this is absolutely iconic. And again, we say that about every fourth sentence, but it's fine. Quote, I'm sorry, grandfather, Alia said. You've met the Atreides Gom Jabbar. End quote. Hell yeah. Uh, also, note that I don't think, yeah, Baron doesn't know that Jessica's his daughter. So <laughs> she's really in his final seconds. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, right, right. The, the, in the last moments of his life, he gets morried. Baron, <laughs> you are the grandfather. Baron, He's like, you I are the grandfather. I'm in the audience right now. I'm not even on stage. <laughs> What's happening? And the emperor summarizes the situation. <laughs> I love this. I laughed out loud reading this again. Quote, yes. These people are insane. <laughs> yes. quote. Yeah. When you watch like one of the heads of a great house get fucking murked by a four year old <laughs> while her right. brother is like attacking your 250,000 SEAL Team 6 soldiers. <laughs> Dude, no kidding. Emperor yeah, Shaddam. Good summary. 
<laughs> you fucked up, In- guys. Insane really doesn't cover it. Yeah. The nose of their ship is blown off, which we know was uh, part of Paul's tactic, grounding them, <laughs> sticking them on the planet. And the Emperor's like, you know what? We got to make a stand here. And bad time to say that because the doors blow open and more and more bleak the situation seems. Ollie is like, yo, open doors. Hell yeah. Runs out into the chaos <laughs> to find a knife so that she can start killing people. <laughs> this is, to be clear, not your average four-year-old. Yeah. We also get a sense with the doors open of what's happening outside. There are Fremen ground troops, sure, but also literal sandworms tearing into battle. Oh my God. The chapter ends as Shaddam, temporarily safe within his ship, orders the summoning of Count Hazimir Fenring, who Mm -hmm. I guess is like in his room taking a nap or something. Yeah, where's he? (laughs) Hanging out. He's like, what's that? The final most important meeting of the most important people on the planet. Uh, I'm good. I'll be here. Yeah. Let me know if you need me to kill someone. (laughs) Uh, This scene is so epic in my mind's eye, and I just cannot wait to see how it's interpreted on screen. Yeah. This massive battle, these Fremen warriors screaming at the top of their lungs, riding down on worms, bearing down on the city and on the Sardaukar. Ah, it's going to be so epic. Iconic, insane legendary it's gonna i mean again it was just made for the screen can't wait to see this absolutely up on a giant imax screen while i (laughs) shove nachos and popcorn into my mouth at the same time blend them up (laughs) try it it's actually good (laughs) all righty oh my gosh i can't believe i'm saying this (sighs) here we are at the end the final chapter of today's section and of the entire book chapter 48 Yes. Now, before I jump in, <laughs> yeah. I quickly want to say I will be breezing very quickly through this chapter. And that's because we will be slowing way down in the takeaways in just a little bit because our key takeaways and the meat and potatoes of today's episode, what we will be spending the most time on is this chapter. And we'll basically be diving very deep and going line by line in this chapter because it's all so worth talking about. But just a quick summary here. Chapter 48. We begin at the end. The battle is over. Paul has won and he has returned to Arakeen Palace. Now, Paul is with Gurney and Stilgar, and he is basically setting up a little base of operations here in the palace. He has Gurney send a spooked Sardaukar to go to Shaddam and invite him to the palace for negotiations. It's time to make his final move. Jessica and later Chani also joined them here in this palace. So we're all basically gathering here for the final confrontation. The emperor and his posse roll up and Paul is, uh, in a word, unimpressed (laughs) with literally everybody there, except for maybe Count Fenring. We'll touch on that a little later on. Paul then brings Thufir up and there's a touching moment where Thufir's allegiance to the Atreides, his loyalty to this house that he has served for so many generations is reaffirmed, and the old Mentat dies in this scene. Yeah. The Emperor then tries to play a couple of technicalities, uh, but this, but this, you but this, and, and Paul, <laughs> exactly, and Paul's just like, yo, shut it, buddy, <laughs> shut none it. of this matters. <laughs> he pulls the guild agents forward and basically threatens them <laughs> with his nuclear option that we talked about. Hey, I'm going to get rid of the spice unless you tell the Armada 
that is waiting up above the planet to leave. And the guild agents quickly cave. They don't put up much of a fight here. <laughs> he then confronts Moheim. You know, he's kind of going down his list of people on his shit list. Yeah. He then turns to Moheim and he openly explains to the people around him how the Bene Gesserit have royally fucked up in creating their Kwisatz Haderach and that he will do nothing according to their plans. Yeah. Huge flex here from Paul. We're going to get into this conversation with Moheim. It's so good. Having appropriately stirred the pot and pissed off everyone in the Emperor's entourage, Paul then gets down to business. It's time to aim for the throne, folks. And the plan is to basically marry the Princess Irulan Corino, Shaddam's eldest daughter, and claim the throne for himself. Right. Shaddam's obviously not willing, but Irulan and even Moheim see that this is maybe the only way out of this conundrum for everybody. I also got the impression Irulan's like, ah, he's pretty great looking. Like, uh, yeah, he seems pretty eligible. Like, he seems like a great husband. <laughs> I don't know. Right, right. Imagine <laughs> Timothy Chalamet is being like, I got to marry you for my throne. Oh, no. You, you, oh, no. <laughs> oh, gosh, if I must. Little. Okay. No, dad, don't be too hasty. It's cool. <laughs> right. It's really cool. <laughs> look at his curls. Look at, now, look at his curls. Cheekbones that could cut glass, dad. <laughs> now, before any decisions about marriage and Irulan can be made, Fade Ratha calls for Conley against Paul. And they basically have to night fight this out. The fight is tense. And we truly, truly get a sense of how deadly Fade Ratha here is, especially considering how skilled we know Paul is, right? We've established that Paul could take on any Fremen Nabe in the desert. His abilities are unmatched. And Fade Rotha gives him a run for his money here. Seriously, yeah. Obviously, knowing Fade, there is treachery within treachery within treachery. He's got poisons on his blade. He's got a hidden needle. He's got all the tricks up his sleeve. At the end, though, Paul is able to overcome Fade Rotha and kill him. Now, with that out of the way, back to business, folks. What are we doing about this marriage? Right. Shaddam, who's still not down for this, has one final card to pull. And he basically calls on Count Hazemir Fenring to kill Paul. Unfortunately for Shaddam, Fenring and Paul have a lot more in common than he realizes, and Fenring backs down here. And the Emperor, like, slaps him across the face, and Fenring's like, Nah, dude, I'll forgive you for slapping me, but I'm not going to kill Paul here. Again, much more to talk about that later in the takeaway. Doesn't he say, like, I'll forgive you that one? Yeah, because of our long friendship, I'll forgive you that one slap. <laughs> God, I love Fenring so much. <laughs> He's so good. Wrapping up this final chapter, over the next few pages, Paul basically uh, guts everyone for everything they're worth yeah. in an incredible feat of negotiation. Yeah. He takes Shaddam's entire Chome Company holdings as dowry for marrying <laughs> Irulan and securing the throne for himself. Incredible. Yeah, nice. He then hooks up his entire squad with titles and Chome directorship holdings and money and everything. Fiefdoms and, yeah. Fiefdoms, all that good stuff. <laughs> you get a planet. You get a planet. <laughs> he's exactly. Oprah he's he's seat. Oprah out here handing out planets left and right <laughs> to all of his comrades. It's a planet. <laughs> <laughs> now, Chani and Jessica have been given the task of finalizing these negotiations and the specifics of this transaction with Shaddam and Irulan. So he entrusts the two women in his life that he loves the most. 
with this task. The book then ends with Paul's promise to Chani that she is his only love and that this marriage with Irulan is political in nature. She will be his wife only in title and in no other way. He will never share a bed with her. She will never receive any of his affection. Yeah. Johnny is a little doubtful of that, but Jessica promises that Paul is true to his word. And the book ends on the quote, we who carry the name of concubine, history will call us wives, end quote. I love that quote so much. That's Dune. That's Dune. That's Dune, baby. Obviously, I very quickly breezed through that final chapter. Don't worry. We're going to go so fucking deep on that in just <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. But that's it, folks. That's the book Dune start to finish. Wow. Incredible stuff. Yeah. Man, can we just say really briefly, what a great ending. Like, it always strikes me rereading the book how wonderful of an ending of a book this is. Yeah, it's incredible. And it, and it ties up so many loose ends. It ends on such a satisfying note. Yeah. Uh, we can't say enough good things about it. And in fact, we will say many good things about it because after the break, we will be getting into our key takeaway, our one and only key takeaway for today, which is this final chapter. We will be breaking it down line by line and going deep. But first, we're going to take a breather, and you should too. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, welcome back. Hope you had a peaceful parlay with the Emperor of the Galaxy. We certainly did. <laughs> this last chapter is, uh, by my count, 400 pages long. So let's <laughs> get through it. Let's start the three-hour portion of our episode where we talk yes, hell yeah. about only one chapter of Dune. <laughs> because, like, holy shit, every sentence is iconic. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into it. Yes, let's jump right in. Okay. first. Things first. We need to talk about this absolutely incredible chapter excerpt at the top of this final chapter. We actually haven't talked too much about a lot of the excerpts, but this one is absolutely worth calling out in full. So here it is. Quote, he was a warrior and a mystic, ogre and saint, the fox and the innocent, chivalrous, ruthless, less than a god, more than a man. There is no measuring Wadib's motives by ordinary standards in the moment of his triumph. He saw the death prepared for him, yet he accepted the treachery. Can't you say he did this out of a sense of justice? Whose justice then? Remember, we speak now of the Muad'Dib who ordered battle drums made from his enemies' skins. The Muad'Dib who denied the conventions of his Ducal past with a wave of his hand saying merely, I am the Kwisatz Haderach. That is reason enough. <laughs> My God. From Arrakis Awakening by Princess Irulan. End quote. Jeez! Oh. <laughs> My God. <laughs> that gives me goosebumps. If you don't read that first, or not thinking about that, 
one could make the mistake of being like, what a triumphant ending to this hero Paul. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is Paul in his truth, where he is not a hero. <laughs> he is not a yeah. shining example for all of man, all of humankind. There is a dark side to this. Battle drums from the skin of his enemies. Oh, my God. Hmm. Good. <laughs> I am the Gwizat's head wreck. That is reason enough. Oh, that should Holy be Holy shit. <laughs> it's incredible. What an ominous tone that is just set for this finale. Yeah. Before we even get into this chapter, this sets the mood. Right. And a reminder, two chapters ago in chapter 46, Paul learned about the death of his son, and he thought to himself, quote, how little the universe knows about the nature of real cruelty, end quote. Yeah. A lot of this has been building up to a very dark character arc for Paul. Right. We see in this chapter, Paul just absolutely flex on Shaddam and his entourage. There are shades of tyranny starting to creep in in this final chapter in, within Paul. And this excerpt that we know is from the future, it's from one of Irulan's writings far into the future, hint that maybe during his reign, Paul goes full despot. Yeah. You know, skins. <laughs> drums. Uh, made drums of skin. from the skins of his enemies. <laughs> That's not heroic shit. So this, I, I love this excerpt at the top of this chapter, and it makes so much of what we're going to talk about, some of these lines that are coming up, that much darker if you keep this in mind. Yeah, no kidding. This is not your white savior story, folks. Right. Paul is no one's hero here. Yeah, it's true. So let's talk about these these beats. It's post-battle, top of the chapter, post-battle, Paul Stilgar Gurney, Arakeen Palace. Great. We've got our who, we've got our where. Reminder, this is the building where House Atreides first lived after arriving on Arrakis. This is also where Count Fenring and Margot Fenring lived just before House Atreides moved in. So, again, all of these pieces coming together at the end that were there at the beginning. All of these interwoven stories. Incredible stuff. What a journey this one building has been on. And the Fremen, who are now in the hall with their leader, Muad'Dib, are super uncomfortable. <laughs> They're like, yeah, isn't this where fucking Raban lives? Like, that's gross and weird. And... Stilgar's like, nah, I've been here before. I spit on a table. I freaked out a bunch of off-worlders. It was great. <laughs> and, and Gurney, who's also been here before, is also like, uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. Caves are better. I like caves better. So and, funny. <laughs> and his BFF Stilgar is like, hell yeah. Hell yeah, caves are better. <laughs> a Fremen through and through already. Yeah, Gurney. Gurney Halleck. <laughs> now, Paul says, in response to Gurney's, wouldn't a cave be more secure? What are we doing here? That this is symbolic in nature. It is symbolic that on the eve of his victory, Paul returns to this palace. Again, you named all these people who once occupied this place. It is now Paul's. Right. He is about to negotiate with the emperor of the known galaxy. This is the place to do it. So the symbolism here is not lost on Paul. The idea that the returning young duke is recapturing the palace that is rightfully his on the planet that is rightfully his as he's about to take the throne. Right. Now, continuing with the scene, a number of red flags about Paul are going to come up in this chapter. Again, keeping that excerpt from the top of the chapter in mind. The first one is here in a back and forth with Gurney. 
Gurney basically gives Paul a battle report and tells him the damage sustained from the storm in the battle. And Paul says, quote, nothing money won't repair, I presume, end quote. Oof. And Gurney's a little taken aback. And he responds, quote, except for the lives, my lord, right. Gurney said. And there was a tone of reproach in his voice as though to say, when did an Atreides worry first about things when people were at stake? End quote. Yeah. And this should make the reader think back to Leto and that incident with the spice harvester. Damn the spice. Damn the spice. Save our people. Right. Paul's father went out of his way to protect the people and not the things. Right, right. Obviously, Paul is not exactly like his father here. He's not going to be the same leader that Leto Atreides was. Well, also, it's worth noting, especially from later in his conversation with the emperor, he says, you have Paul Atreides' word, but not Muad'Dib's, right? And when yeah. he talks to Jessica and Chani about how the Fremen will be compensated, he says, that is for Muad'Dib. There's this duality. Paul is... Paul Atreides. He is the son of Duke Leto, and he has still many great qualities, a sense of righteousness, a sense of justice. And he, he is in so many ways defensible in a lot of what he's doing here. But he also has this other persona that has a life of its own, this Muad'Dib. And Muad'Dib is the Messiah. And Muad'Dib is the one who would say, whatever. We can repair structures and loss of life is natural and whatever, you know. Exactly. Muad'Dib is much more Fremen in his mentality and approach to leadership. Totally. That's, that's such a great point. There are two Pauls here and two very different leadership styles. Now, no matter how many Pauls there are, they're all tired. <laughs> Paul and Muad'Dib. <laughs> so tired. So fucking tired. <laughs> they're like, I mean, he is still actively thinking about the coming jihad. We get this quote. But Paul could only focus his attention on the inner eye and the gaps visible to him in the time wall that still lay across his path. Through each gap, the jihad raged away down the corridors of the future. He sighed, crossed the hall, seeing a chair against the wall. The chair had once stood in the dining hall and might even have held his own father, at the moment, though, it was only an object to rest his weariness and conceal it from the men. He sat down, pulling his robes around his legs, loosening his still suit at the neck. End quote. Wow. The imagery there. Uh, I also like it, the tired businessman loosening his necktie, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> the end of a crazy day at work, just like, yeah, exactly. my God, I need a scotch. Ah, the stock market was, oh my God, God all that over the place market's today. fucking nuts right now. It's crazy. <laughs> Cannot tell you yeah. the day at work I had. It's, God, and, and the way that it brings to mind his father's fatigue, you know. Yes. Oh there was gosh. that heartbreaking chapter where his dad says, basically, I need someone to tell this to. Like, I need someone to talk to openly and, and vulnerably. Right. He takes those anti-fatigue tablets and... His back straightens a bit as they take effect, but he was so tired and so exhausted by the demands of being a leader. And gosh, we really get a sense that, you know, this young, this young Duke, this young Duke of a planet, and now potentially of the universe, is understanding the fatigue his father was feeling and the burdens of leadership that his father was telling him about. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love the parallels here. Yeah. Now, as Paul waits for Gurney to bring back a captured Sardaukar, he sits in this chair and collects his thoughts about the day and peers through these visions of the future that he's seeing. Again, trying to make sense of it all, trying to figure out this whole jihad problem that he's been facing forever now. Within one of these visions, uh, Alia shows up. <laughs> what up? I'm Alia. <laughs> Hi. Classic little, classic little sister thing to do. She pops up in one of these visions and has left him a message. Quote, I have breasted the future to place my words where only you can hear them. Even you cannot do that, my brother. I find it an interesting play. And, oh, yes, I've killed our grandfather, the demented old baron. He had very little pain. End quote. <laughs> Even what is that? Even you cannot do that. Even you what cannot do fuck? that. <laughs> what? This is crazy. This is so weird and so on brand for little sisters. They're such fucking show offs. You know she had to throw that jab in there, you know? Yeah. Even you can't do this. Messages using prescience? Using brain power. <laughs> <laughs> Wild stuff. But joking aside, uh, this is pretty insane and kind of hard to explain how these powers are being used. I personally am not quite sure what's happening here. Same. Yeah. Uh, But if I were to sort of like posit a theory, it's clear from Alia's interactions with Moheim and with Paul's interactions with his mother. We talked about that sensory sharing. Right. Between people who have access to genetic memories or have some sort of Benny Gesserit training right so my best guess is that she's probably doing some sort of fancy sensory information download shit like that and uh basically leaving this message in a place where paul's genetic memory and prescient abilities can find them so it's pretty unexplained how she's doing this but that's maybe my best theory is this is a version of that sensory information transfer that we've seen a few times in the book now it's worth remembering that Paul is the Quisatz Hatterach, not because of some divine chosen thing. Like, this isn't God shining his divine light upon Paul. Paul is the byproduct of 90 generations of breeding. Guess who also is the same genetic makeup? Yeah. Guess who's... Alia Atreides. <laughs> Alia Atreides. Four-year-old Alia Atreides. Alia's preborn. Alia has had these Kwisatz Haderach powers and this access to genetic memory since before she was fucking born. So it is interesting to think about, you know, I, I think oftentimes, now that we've finished the book, there are conversations about, okay, but actually what is Alia doing and how is she doing it? The answer might be, literally, she is the only one in history to be able to do this stuff because yeah. of the breeding program and because of her unique existence as someone who is preborn. Yeah, exactly. Again, speaking of unprecedented things happening in this book. Thufir, what do you think of that? (laughs) What? (laughs) Right. Thufir's over there (laughs) short-circuiting. He just has a nosebleed, this whole scene. He's like, I don't. (laughs) I can't. Just, I'll be over here taking a nap. (laughs) Now, what follows this message from Malia is just an incredible scene with Stilgar. I love this so, 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 so much. Stilgar rushes in to report the Baron's death. And before he can say a word, Paul cuts in, quote, you've found the body of the old Baron, end quote. 
And Stilgar is stunned. And he whispers, quote, How could you know? We just found the body in that great pile of metal the Emperor built. End quote. Again, feeding into his legend, into his abilities. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He knew the Baron was dead before I could even report to him. And a little later in the scene, after Paul sends the captured Sardaukar to go get the Emperor, Stilgar reports that Chani and Jessica have arrived, and he tells Paul that Chani for now wishes to be alone with her grief. Again, they both just learned that their son is dead. And Jessica is going to stop by that weirding room that we saw very early in the book, that room with all of the plants and the moisture in it. Yeah, Margot Fenring's room. Like Exactly. Again, Count Hazimir Fenring's wife, <laughs> literally her room. So interesting, all of these early elements popping up again. Right. And of course, Stilgar doesn't know what this room is for. Yeah. And he says as much to Paul. And Paul tells him that his mother is sick with longing for Kaladin, a planet where water falls from the sky. So that is why she's going back to this room. And Stilgar here is astonished and stunned at what Paul just said. Water? Falling from the sky? And Paul makes an absolutely heartbreaking observation. I love this quote so much. Right. In that instant, Paul saw how Stilgar had been transformed from the Fremen Nabe to a creature of the Lisan al Gabe, a receptacle for awe and obedience. It was a lessening of the man, and Paul felt the ghost wind of the jihad in it. I have seen a friend become a worshiper, he thought. In a rush of loneliness, Paul glanced around the room, noting how proper and on review his guards had become in his presence. He sensed the subtle, prideful competition among them, each hoping for notice from Muad'Dib. End quote. Oh, God. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. The only way I can process that, that amount of emotions is through humor. So I'll just say, they saw him sign that one woman's breasts with that marker, and they're like... <laughs> Maybe I'm next. <laughs> Maybe if I'm really good, I'll get a signature from the Palm Wadib. Oh my God. Yeah. Heartbreaking and tragic and so true. His legend has made him not only one of the loneliest people in the galaxy now, yeah, but also is turning his friends into lesser beings, into people that also worship him. Yeah. You know, no longer friends, family, knaves that he can trust on and rely on, just worshipers. And he's God. aware of that. It's crazy. I mean, really puts you in the mood to make drum skins out of the skins of your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. to feel something, you know? <laughs> right. That disassociation. I mean, that loneliness is powerful. That's crazy. It, it, it's yeah. striking. Yeah. Incredible to see how far this legend has gone and how it's quickly growing out of Paul's grasp, right? Yeah. To him, he wants to hold on to his friends, his family, and he's losing them. He's losing them to the legend. Again, that ghost whisper of the jihad, he can't control the jihad. He's losing it. It's happening no matter what he does. It's this powerlessness and this loneliness that is so profound. Amazing stuff. So Jessica arrives and we get more of these red flags. She asks... Frantically, she's like, oh, where's your where's your sister? What the hell? Where's my daughter? She's four, four-year-old daughter. Right. 
Reminder, all Jessica knows is that she's been captured at this point. Right, right. She was a hostage of the Harkonnens. What's going on? Paul's like, ah, no, it's chill. It's chill, Ma. She's, uh, she's out there. She's got a knife. She's like, you know, there are wounded on the ground. She's just killing them, getting them ready to collect their water. It's great. She's a healthy, well-adjusted four-year-old. <laughs> Jesus. Jessica's like, that's fucking awful. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is your sister. And you don't seem to care. And man, this following exchange, we really get a sense of Paul and his just how much resentment he has around so much because this is not gentle. Yeah, it's absolutely savage stuff from Paul. And it gives us a few more clues into his frankly astonishing and overwhelming prescient powers. Yeah, this is this is a long quote, but it's worth it. Jessica glared at her son, shocked by the profound change in him. Was it his child's death did this? She wondered. And she said, The men tell strange stories of you, Paul. They say you've all the powers of the legend. Nothing can be hidden from you that you see where others cannot see. A Benny Jesuit should ask about legends? He asked. I've had a hand in whatever you are, she admitted. But you mustn't expect me to... How would you like to live billions upon billions of lives? Paul asked. There's a fabric of legends for you. Think of all the experiences, the wisdom they'd bring. But wisdom tempers love, doesn't it? And it puts a new shape on hate. How can you tell what's ruthless unless you've plumbed the depths of both cruelty and kindness? You should fear me, mother. I am the Kwisatz Haderach. End quote. K. Paul. <laughs> with the, uh, hmm, you are. Oof. Okay. <laughs> wow. Right, Heavy bud. stuff. Yeah. You, you need to take a lap or, or how you feeling, Paul? <laughs> yeah. You, you know what this reminds me most of? Yeah. Is for our Watchmen fans out there, this reminds me of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. This, like, omniscient disassociation with humanity, right? He's peered into so many lives, billions of billions of lives and possibilities and futures that feelings like hate and love and cruelty and kindness, they, like, they're just dampened. They have less meaning for him because he's experienced so much of it in so many varying degrees. Yeah. And there's almost this like stepping back from humanity, this disassociation, this cutting off from the things that make us human just because of his powers. Much the same way that Dr. Manhattan has to like leave Earth and go to Mars. Like it, it, it reminds me so much of Dr. Manhattan in that sense. Yeah, that's a great point. Great shout out. I also think about we all maybe we all remember our first like PG-13 movie or our first like rated R movie. And there was like a little bit of violence in it. We're like, oh, my God, yeah. that's crazy. Paul has seen the most violent acts in history firsthand. And he's seen acts of unlimited love and kindness and self-sacrifice. And he's seen all of this. <laughs> he's seen it all. There it is. And you got to think that he's become desensitized to some right. of these things. You know, he goes, you know, skin drumheads made of the en my enemies. I mean, at least we killed them first. Welcome yeah. to my <laughs> jihad. It's like, right. yeah, no kidding. Uh, definitely plumbing the depths. What an, what an idea. 
Yeah, wild stuff. And, you know, of course, the ending there. You should fear me, mother. I am the Kwisatz Haderach. Fuck. Yeah. He is, he's, he's done messing around. And he's also making it clear to his mom, you made me this way. Reminder. Yeah. yeah. By the way. <laughs> this is your doing. <laughs> Legends, a.k.a. Missionaria Protectiva, you hypocrite. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> right. Yeah. So taking shots at his mother once again. Now, one of the things that does continue to humanize him and tie him to this immediate world is Shani. And of course, she enters the hall. You know, she's got marks of tears on her face. She's been crying, as, as he puts it. She gives water to the dead. Right. And he comforts her. And it's really, it's brief. I mean, he's not taking a lot of time with Chani in these moments. He's got, he's got a lot to do. He has to take over the universe. <laughs> but he, it is genuinely touching. And he comforts her and promises her that while their firstborn can never be replaced, there will be other sons. And uh, considering he's seeing so many futures, uh, I'm going to say, I believe him. <laughs> probably, <laughs> right. <laughs> probably true. I'm going to bet my money on Paul on this one. And again, he pulls a tiny flex here. He says, oh, the emperor's people are coming. And the guards who know that but haven't told him yet are like, oh, my God, he's so smart. <laughs> How did he know? Oh, my God. Oh, what? my God. He really is the chosen the Lisa one. Lisa and I'll Gabe. Lisa and I'll Gabe. Do you think he knows I just peed myself a little? Oh, probably. He knows everything, man. Did you bring your Sharpie? <laughs> Did you bring your Sharpie? <laughs> you forgot it? Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe he has one. <laughs> oh, man. And Gurney is like, yo, Paul, the guild is threatening to embargo Arrakis. They're threatening to cut off the planet from everything else. Yeah. And he can't, he, he doesn't give a shit. He's like, <laughs> bro, and here's the quote, I'll pull their fangs presently, end quote. Oh, my God. Oh, it's so good. Absolute flex. Alrighty, the long-awaited confrontation with the Emperor is finally here, because the Emperor and his crew finally arrive. And Paul looks out over the assembled crowd, all of these lackeys that the emperor has with him. And he notices Count Fenrir. Yeah. <laughs> and he's taken a little shocked here. He's like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> Quote, the emperor's errand boy, Paul thought. And the thought was a shock crashing across his consciousness because he had seen the emperor in uncounted associations spread through the possible futures. But never once had Count Fenring appeared within those prescient visions. End quote. Holy shit. Amazing. Yeah. Huge revelation here. Yeah. Because as we learn a little later in this chapter, Count Fenring was in the running for Kwisatz Haderach. Yeah. Yeah. He was recruited basically for that program before he washed out or basically failed or the Bene Gesserit thought, nope. Not quite there yet. We need to right. keep working on this breeding program. But he was one that nearly could have been a Kwisatz Haderach. And because of that, he has not shown up in any of Paul's visions. He's a giant blind spot. That, that's shocking. Yeah. Literally, the chosen one who can see everything is realizing, I've never seen that man. Right. <laughs> and we get this sense, we get confirmation here, basically, that Fenring is 
on a cosmic scale, dangerous. And yeah, when Baron first meets him and goes, you know, a murderer with the manners of a rabbit, you know, this is really someone to be afraid of. He had every reason to be afraid. And yeah. later when Fenring's like, yo, I'm going to forgive you slapping me in the face, Emperor of the Galaxy, uh, because we're friends. And <laughs> you get the sense he'd kill anybody. Uh, but you, you, get, you get the feeling he left off a word at the end of that sentence. <laughs> and that word is bitch. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he really is, uh, I don't know. It, deadly. Yeah, he's deadly. No In a word. Incredible. Okay, next, Lufir Hawat steps forward. And as we talked about in our summary, obviously, Paul knows and we know that he has a hidden needle that he has been ordered to use against Paul. But of course, he doesn't. And instead, this heartfelt back and forth with Paul basically just reaffirms how loyal Lufir has been to the Atreides his entire life. And that's not going to change even now as the poison coursing through his body is killing him near the end of his life. Right. So fear's death here is an unglamorous end for our guy. We've talked quite a bit about him actually today. But here is just another example of the insane loyalty that the Atreides command among their people, right? He has served these people for three generations and to his dying breath. Quote, he half turned in Paul's arms, extended his left hand, palm up, toward the emperor, exposing the tiny needle cupped against the fingers. See, majesty, he called. See, your traitor's needle. Did you think that I, who've given my life to service of the Atreides, would give them less now? End quote. Good Written God. Thufir Hawaii. Thufir. <laughs> what a way. Uh. He's been thinking about those last words for a while now, I think. Stuck and the landing. Stuck the landing, stuck buddy. Stuck the landing. <laughs> 10 Beautiful. out of 10, yeah. <laughs> Rip Thufir Hawat, you yeah. were a real one, despite your many foibles in this book. We forgive you, and we will honor you. Even if Jessica love doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he goes, no forgiveness needed. You know, I know I fucked up. No word of what she says or does. <laughs> like, yep. I just imagine her like poker face to like, yeah, you fuck told you, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Next up, Paul turns his attention to the emperor. The emperor does his best to be emperor like. <laughs> Puffs up his <laughs> chest. He's like, oh, you, you used atomics against us and you're in defiance. And Paul, again, as we covered in the very brief outline of this section, shuts him down. He's like, <laughs> I mean, really in this situation, the emperor is like, you, you think you're in command here, but you're not. <laughs> I've got these things. And Paul is so fucking in command. He is. <laughs> there has never been a situation more controlled and commanded than this one with Paul. Yeah. Bad news for our boy, Shaddam the Fourth. Right. Paul's like, yay, guildsman. And they're like, what? He goes. Tell everyone to go away. <laughs> Just, hey, call them. You know, the people waiting. Yeah, call them. Tell them to go home. Party's over. Uh, and if you don't, I nuke the planet, basically. Yeah. They <laughs> are like, you You don't give us commands. And Paul slaps back. Not even claps back. He 
punches back, <laughs> quote, We are not here to discuss or to negotiate or to compromise. You will obey my orders or suffer the immediate consequences. End quote. Incredible. There's that, in, in the extended edition, that quote actually goes on. And he says, who's your spice daddy? Who's <laughs> your, your, your reverend daddy? Incredible. And they're like, and they're like you are. You, you are, are. You are. <laughs> and thus, they scamper over to the communications equipment tail between their legs and basically deliver the most awkward phone call you could picture. Right. They can all see into the future and they can all, all of the guildsmen can see a little bit into the future. They can all see the blank fucking wall of future, like blind future where Paul nukes the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Like Paul is so determined in his will that they can just by poking forward a little bit, can see this blank blindness that they haven't ever experienced. And that's just got to be such a, you know, he's like, you don't even have to convince them up. Because in reality, they call, they go, hey, John, you got to send everyone home. And John's like, what? And they're like, just look forward a bit. And John's like, oh, no. (laughs) God. Yeah. Okay, everyone. (laughs) Let's go. Right. Exactly. Uh, He's not bluffing. Not a poker face in sight. Okay, next, now that the guild is taken care of, (laughs) he turns to Reverend Mother, Guys, Helen, Moham. Guys, Helen. Oh my gosh, (laughs) this part is so juicy. Uh, I like get, I'm like tensing up, ready to talk about this because it's so good. (laughs) Breathe. Remember, because this comes full circle. Think back to the very first chapter of this book. Yeah. It's Moham testing Paul with the Gamjabar. Right. And now the tables have turned, baby. Oh, my God. And yeah. this conversation is downright venomous. You get <laughs> yeah. the sense that Paul is enjoying this. Quote, try your tricks on me, old witch. Where's your Gamjabar? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, <laughs> and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Yeah. Google it. It's fine. We're here. Try looking into that place where you dare not look. Spotify? You'll find me there staring out at you. End quote. Oh, my God. So good. (laughs) I could cry. That's so good. And pointedly, during this exchange, (laughs) Moheim is spending most of this conversation addressing Jessica. (laughs) Yeah. Not even directly responding to Paul. Almost like she's unable to face the reality of the Kwisatz Haderach, the reality of the things she is responsible for creating, her life's dream standing in front of her, and it is not what she expected. No kidding. Paul says, quote, For your part in all this, I could gladly have you strangled. But I think it better punishment that you live out your years never able to touch me or bend me to a single thing your scheming desires. End quote. Ugh, so Shivers. Good. Yeah. That is true punishment. Killing her would be too easy. Killing her would be mercy. Yeah. She gets to live and watch her life's work, the Kwisatz Haderach, fail spectacularly. It's amazing. What a punishment for a woman who has dedicated her entire life to this dream and watching that dream turn on her. Also, killing her would be the Muad'Dib solution, right? Like, 
the you kill your enemy. It's the Fremen right, way. Turning her into a drum. Classic Muad'Dib. <laughs> classic Muad'Dib. <laughs> great tone. Great tone from that drum. But the <laughs> irony here, or the kind of appropriate venom to his blade, is that he's dealing with her as a political prisoner, as Paul Atreides, right? Like, yeah. this punishment is coming from the boy that she inducted into the ranks of human. Even better. Because again, if he turned around and treated her as Paul Muad'Dib, that would almost in some ways give her a tiny moral victory over Paul Atreides. But no, this is Paul Atreides returned. You tested me with your Gamjabar. Well, here we are. Here we are now. Right. And it's him getting some vengeance, getting some right. sweet, sweet revenge. Now, Moheim finally is forced to address Paul because he starts blabbing out loud <laughs> to everyone in the room. Yeah. About the ultra-secret 90-generation-long Benny Jesuit breeding program that nobody knows up. about. <laughs> listen up, guys. Super interesting. <laughs> and she says, quote, You mustn't speak of these things, the old woman hissed. End quote. <laughs> and Paul silences her and ends this conversation on just a chilling note. Quote, I remember your Gam Jabbar. You remember mine. I can kill you with a word. End quote. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Something on. Insane stuff. Guy, I assume. <laughs> okay, with everyone else taken care of, Spacing Guild, Moheim, right. shit's taken care of, time to focus in on the Emperor and the true goal of this meeting, to take the throne. Right. And he makes it clear to the Emperor that he plans to marry Irulan. And at first, he asks. He makes it obvious that he could force the emperor's hand <laughs> right. he's in complete control of this situation but he asks he says i want to marry irulan and open up a path to the throne for the, for an atreides can i have your blessings <laughs> <laughs> right very old-fashioned of him and the emperor of course is not thrilled <laughs> right. about any of this this the thing the events have gone in a direction he did not predict and does not want but like we said earlier both irulan and moheim Try to then kind of convince, they pull him to the side and try to convince them, like, hey, we're kind of in a pickle here. Right. Capital P, pickle. This is maybe the only way out of this. This is maybe the only way we all reasonably get out of this situation. Moheim's being strategic. She's like, this is the right move. Irulan's like, right. also look at him. He's really hot. <laughs> like, it's fine, dad. Oh my God, those eyes. Those eyes. <laughs> Great. He was did great in Call Me By you Your Name. Did you see him, Dad, in Call Me By Your Name? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so good. Hey, great mind. <laughs> now, before any decision can be made, there's, you know, Moheim and Irulan are whispering in the Emperor's ear. Before a decision can be made, our guy Fade Rotha Harkonnen, who has been standing in this entourage to the side, demands Conley against Paul. Right. And it's time for a knife fight, baby. Yeah. It's dude. Hell yeah. Strip down, <laughs> folks. Down to your underwear. Grab your knives. Let's do it. The way to do it. That's how it has to be done. <laughs> Although in this situation, I think they're pretty pretty clothed. I mean, Paul takes yeah, off his yeah. cloak, but as kind of a plot point, Fade does have, does have his little, like, battle girdle on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we're, this is totally new to fight, but... <sighs> sucks. <laughs> Worst Missed fight. opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, during this knife fight, Moheim is watching and sweating she is stressed because both fade and paul are 
the result of that aforementioned generations long breeding program. Right. Both of these men are the end result of careful breeding and thousands of years of planning. And they're in a knife fight with each other. <laughs> well, nearly end result, because remember the original plan? Bade Rautha was supposed to be the father to the Kwisatz Haderach. And the child who turned out to be Paul was supposed to be daughter of Jessica and wife to Fade Rautha. Like, right. this is, this. you're so right. This has got to be so stressful for Moheim because she's looking at, here is the penultimate step, you know, yeah. our plan. Granted, Paul is the Kwisatz Haderach. Okay, I guess we got there. But if we lose either of these guys, like this sucks because you're right. Fade Rautha is as important to the Bene Gesserit as Paul is in some ways. Yeah. Their genes, both of their genes are too critical to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And both of these blockheads <laughs> are swinging knives at each other. We right. could lose both of them. There is a possibility where they both end up killing each other. <laughs> and the genes that the Bene Gesserit have worked so long for both disappear in an instant. Right. Wild stuff. So she she's stressed. As are we the reader, because reminder, very tense fight. Plots within plots within plots, treachery all over the place. And like we said earlier, Fade really gives Paul a run for his money. It's so cool because you really do get a sense of how devious Fade is as a fighter. He like is favoring one side very subtly, and then that's a double feint around yes, this. Brilliant. It's so cool. And then Paul gets poisoned, but then he deactivates the poison with his metabolic Incredible. Like, poison yes. nullification, which yeah. is just amazing. And then he faints being affected by the poison. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> mind games. Yeah. Mind games on so many levels. It's as much a mind game as it is a knife fight. And it's a real knife fight. So yeah, super, super cool. I really did love pretty much every page of this fight really seemed like the pinnacle of Dune terminology and and all of the things that we've learned so far being put into immediate practice, which is really cool. Yeah, incredible stuff. And a reminder, a decision nexus. There's yeah. no guarantee Paul will survive this. He doesn't know exactly where the future is headed. It's true. Billions of possibilities could happen from this one knife fight. But Paul does ultimately win. He defeats Fade Ratha, and after the fight, it is now clear to the Emperor that his options are quickly starting to dwindle. Right. And my guy panics. He looks over to Count Fenrir, one of his oldest friends, and a reliable killer, and basically tells him with his eyes. They don't say anything. They just do this little <laughs> eye communication thing, maybe a wink. All in the eyebrows. Just All really in the eyebrows. Fantastic eyebrow dance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he sends this message through eye contact to Count Fenring, kill Paul. And this is where we learn about Count Fenring's history as a potential Kwisatz Haderach. Because in this moment of silence, no dialogue is happening here. They're just sort of all making eye contact. Paul recognizes that Fenring is a fellow Kwisatz Haderach, or could have been. Yeah. And in a shocking turn of events, Fenring refuses the emperor's order. Quote, Paul, aware of some of this from the way the time nexus boiled, understood at last why he had never seen Fenring along the webs of prescience. Fenring was one of the might-have-beens, 
and almost Kwisatz Haderach, crippled by a flaw in the genetic pattern. A eunuch, his talent concentrated into furtiveness and inner seclusion. A deep compassion for the Count flowed through Paul, the first sense of brotherhood he'd ever experienced. Mm. Fenring, reading Paul's emotion, said, Majesty, I must refuse. End quote. Uh, so good. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, Speaking of Paul's loneliness, right? Oh, he suddenly yeah. sees someone who maybe in another life could relate to Paul. Camaraderie. A fellow Kwisatz Haderach candidate. Someone who is the byproduct of planning and plotting and someone who maybe didn't have agency. I also, there's that word eunuch, and I've definitely heard plenty of takes that this is literal, that he's just unable to give, like, have sire children, right? Unable to sire children. I don't think it is, yeah. I think this is really more about that talent concentrated into furtiveness and inner seclusion, right? He looks inward, and that's just not what they were looking for. It's like, you know, they were tempering this metal, and it turned out just a little too brittle, so they've got to abandon it and find a new path. Right. He, he's a genetic eunuch, which means to the Bene Gesserit. Right. Like his the breeding program ends with him because of genes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think he's out here fucking. <laughs> I, think, I think we can say canonically. Yeah. He this count fucks. Yeah. I just love this. I love this so much. And again, the profound quality of Paul's loneliness in this chapter, except for Fenring. And Paul being so unimpressed with everybody, except for Fenring. And Fenring being the guy who's like mumbling, kind of timid seeming, but at the end of the day is one of the most dangerous people in the universe. Yeah. Okay, we're nearly to the end, folks. Right, almost there. At this point, it's over. Yeah. Checkmate, Mr. Emperor. Game over. Paul has won. He promises the Emperor that Shaddam will be free to live out his life on Seleucus Secundus. <laughs> Already a planet hilarious. <laughs> that, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, is a planet that Paul intends to soften up and turn into, quote, a garden world full of gentle things, end quote. And as we've discussed, the Sardaukar, the greatest fighting force in the galaxy, the reason the Carino Empire has been in power for nearly 10,000 years, are trained on this brutal planet, on Seleucus Secundus. This is where they are tested. Paul, turning Seleucus Secundus into a soft garden world, effectively removes the possibility of any future Sardaukar. It gets rid of that threat. And the Emperor is like one of the few people in the universe who understands this viscerally. Yes. So to say, first of all, yeah, hilarious. Don't worry. You'll live out your life in comfort on one of the worst planets in the universe. <laughs> first <laughs> On of the all. prison planet Seleucus Secundus. Amazing. Second of all, I'm also going to declaw you forever yeah in a way and again other people in the audience i imagine going what is he wait is that nice i'm confused right <laughs> because <laughs> of course the emperor is like you bastard you understand the source of my power i do <laughs> yeah actually yeah well, i hadn't thought about I, that. I imagine this is kind of really comical yeah now that we're talking about it <laughs> you know leo yeah i'm gonna lock you up in a penthouse suite oh uh, and you're going to get free Chardonnay every day. And I'm like, fuck, no. <laughs> and onlookers are like, man, he really doesn't like being comfortable and happy. 
weird. I feel like yeah. this is really nice of a boo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, you know, honestly, even like writing the script, reading this chapter and over and over, didn't realize how comical this <laughs> exchange is to everyone else. Yeah. There's like six people in the room who are like, oh, that's cold blooded. Everyone else is like, oh, huh. I don't, uh, seems kind of nice. Maybe. Can can I have that too? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Is there a room on the garden world for me? <laughs> First oh, time man. I'm going to say this, send me to Seleucus Secundus. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Now, changing Seleucus Secundus isn't the only planet Paul has plans for, because Paul also promises here to change Arrakis and to make the Fremen dream of a greener Arrakis come true. Quote, there will be flowing water here, open to the sky, and green oases rich with good things. But we have the spice to think of too. Thus, there will always be desert on Arrakis, and fierce winds, and trials to toughen a man. End quote. He's going to make that dream a reality. He yeah. is going to fulfill their prophecy, basically, right? He is the chosen one. He's the one that's going to bring about the change for the Fremen, and he promises here, in front of everyone. That's exactly what he's going to do once he's emperor of the known galaxy but also understanding that those trials that adversity right Amtal, yes. this is a necessary part of fremen culture he's not getting rid of that you keep no. the spice he's not going to declaw himself no of course not but also i see this as compassionate towards the fremen he's not de going to declaw them and yes there will you know he does say the spice to think of right this is thinking about the imperium not necessarily the fremen but and fierce winds and trials to toughen a man. That is 100% as a Fremen going, this is important. We all know it's important. And that's why we'll always have it. Yeah. Got it. Got to keep the Fremen the Fremen. Yeah. And speaking of Fremen, actually, Moheim, who's been listening in on all of this, turns out she has some minor prescient abilities. We go pretty in depth on the spoiler Moheim episode that we did. Right. Check that out once you've read through at least the first three books, but she has some minor prescient abilities and she glimpses here, gets a few flashes of this looming jihad, the jihad that Paul has been seeing for years now. Quote, you cannot loose these people upon the universe, end quote. And <laughs> Paul's iconic galaxy brain out of this world. I, I don't even know what other things to say about this response. Uh. He dunks on her. Yeah. He ends this once and for all. Quote, you're a truthsayer. Review your words. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. The fucking guy running the uh, lie detector. Paul's like, hook yourself up. See if it passes. Oh, <laughs> like, my God. It's so good. I also imagine, in addition to him saying, like, Look, you just saw a glimpse of the visions that I've been seeing. You're a truthsayer. You know this is coming to pass. Right. I also imagine he's also kind of dunking on her because she says, you cannot loose these people. Yeah. And he's kind of saying like, oh, just watch me. Like, yeah. No, no, exactly. Yeah. He's like, you know what you're saying is not right. Like, you know, yeah, I can. And you know, I can. You know, I can. And in fact, with your slight abilities... Check out what I'm about to do. Oh, my God. It's so good. Review your words. Good that, 
That Lord. just sends a shiver down my spine. Now, all of this badassery aside, he is still Paul. He is still Paul yes. Atreides. Yep. And as this marriage deal, basically with Irulan, is solidified, he reassures Chani. Chani's there still. And she goes, uh, should I leave? You know, she's kind of feeling like a third wheel. Yeah. He's like, no, you're never going to leave my side again. Like you are, you know, it, and this is really touching. It's and that, yeah. Yeah. Considering everything else that could sound really menacing. It's not, it's sweet. It's, <laughs> it's really sweet. He's like, beloved, you are everything to me and you're never, and, and I'm never going to be away from you again. I'm never going to leave you again. And Jessica negotiate terms of this marriage and actually negotiate with Chani. She will be my advocate in that conversation. She is wise. She, through her love for me, will, like, do a good job of this, right? Right. That's trust. He's giving her a huge responsibility here. And trusting trust. her to see these negotiations through. Yeah. And again, also really signaling to her, no, you're, you're a part of my life. And in fact, you are more of a part of my life than this, whatever, technical marriage will ever be. Yeah. Paul tells his beloved, quote, we must obey the forms, yet that princess shall have no more of me than my name. No child of mine, nor touch, nor softness of glance, nor instant of desire, end quote. Oof. He's going to glare at her, guys, 24-7. <laughs> Just <laughs> mean mugging her forever. <laughs> forever. Hilarious. <laughs> Amazing. And... When Chani expresses a bit of doubt here, she says, uh, you know, Usul, you say that now. Is that really how it's going to be? I don't understand. Again, the politics of the empire are beyond her grasp. This this is territory fremen culture doesn't dive into. These like right. political schemings and marriages. Jessica reassures her. She says, quote, that princess will have the name, yet she'll live as less than a concubine never to know a moment of tenderness from the man to whom she's bound. While we, Chani, we who carry the name of concubine, history will call us wives. End quote. End Dune. Yeah. What an iconic line. Oh my God. Incredible stuff. What an what a astounding final chapter. What an incredible end to this story. Satisfactory in so many ways, tying up so many loose ends. Also hinting at a pretty dreadful future if Irulan's writings and some of the red flags we've seen in Paul are to be believed here in this final chapter. If only the story continued into huh. give or take five more books. Oh, wait! <laughs> <laughs> and actually, we have something to talk about, and we're going to say it right after a final break. So hang out. Take a breath. You've earned it. We'll be right back. Alrighty, folks. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is normally where we'd have our spice morsels. Indeed. But because it's the last episode, and because it's been such a lengthy one, we are going to wrap up here today, but we have a couple of things to share that we want to tell you before we say goodbye. We are going to do another episode about Dune. We're going to have an episode 10 of this book club, where we take a look at the book more comprehensively as a whole. We're going to do a bigger mailbag section. We're going to do spice morsels sampled, a platter of spice morsels. 
sampled from this section, as well as from other parts of the book where those episodes were just too long to talk about everything. So now's the moment. Right. Now is the yes. time. If you have been waiting, holding off, haven't hit send on that email yet, send it. Now is the time. We will be doing a lengthy mailbag section in episode 10 of this book club. All of your questions about the book, any comments, anything we haven't touched on, what your experience reading along with us has been like. So please send all of that to Podcast at gmail.com. We also would like to right now. One more thing. One more thing. Uh, we're going to tease here. Something to come. Yes. We've heard your cries. <laughs> we have heard your cries. And we are going to be continuing our book club into Messiah, Children of Dune, God Emperor of Dune, Heretics, and Chapter House. Oh my God. That's right. What? We are committing to the book club and we will be covering all of Frank's novels. Hello. All of them. For years. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, there is more to say about this. There are specifics yes. to hash out. There's a lot to say. Right. We're still in the planning phase. No dates are set yet. So keep an ear out. Right. There is an announcement coming soon in the next few weeks where we will officially announce the continuation of the book club and when we will be jumping into Dune Messiah, book two. Right. We've had a blast doing this book club. We know you want more of it. And so we will be continuing. Super exciting. Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. My guys, my 11-month-year-old, what? <laughs> I added a word and that made no sense. 